He's got a bitmoji. <laughs> I do have a bitmoji of me. Is it a bitmoji or is it a bitmoji? Bit. I don't know. I I'm new to this whole thing, so I I honestly don't know. What are these kids doing? What are these ripper snappers making them bitmojis? And actually, no, wait, I have the app right here. Oh, it's bitmoji. You're right. Bitmoji. Ha. <laughs> Emoji, emoji. Technologically all the emojis get them while they're hot. This is the Vince Lionel Podcast, episode 25. On today's episode, we have J.J. Schindler with us talking about his new film, Ark. Also, we're discussing the first look at Josh Brolin as Cable, new details on Star Wars The Last Jedi, and Disney cutting out of their deal with Netflix. So, sit back and relax because the Vince Lionel Podcast starts right now. Hey, hey, hey! <laughs> Starting off with a bang. Hi, guys! Welcome to the Vince Slano Podcast, episode 25. 25 episodes later, still doing this. Almost past a year. No, actually, yeah, we're past a year later. I started this the day the, orig- the, the reboot of Ghostbusters came out. Not the best of days to start a new podcast, but hey, better start with something than nothing. Um, yeah, just really quick reflecting on the past year... Uh, I started this podcast as an opportunity to give myself time to talk about movies because I love talking about movies and I used to do like special videos on specific topics and uh, as I got into college and started getting more into filmmaking it just was not feasible for me to dedicate time to one video at a time unless it was like a movie review or something and uh, once I got into podcasting I realized I had the chance to talk about a wide variety of things on one 45 minute to an hour long audio recording, uh, which is easier for me, easier to edit, and um, gives me and my guests more, uh, I guess, flexibility to um, talk about more things. And <laughs> whereas, like, if we're talking about one specific thing, we only have like a certain amount of time. This we can talk about a lot of things and go back to certain things, and it's it's been a lot of fun. I've had a lot of great special guests on here. One of which is back today. <laughs> back. Back. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I've, I've having fun with it. I have no intention of stopping it. And, uh, you know, not, it's not the most state of the art podcast, but it's definitely going to get better as time goes on. And hey guys. hello. And yes, 25 episodes later, people are still popping in randomly. <laughs> um, anyways, let's get on with the show. Obviously I'm your host, Vince Slano. My guest is, uh, well, it's kind of cool that you're the you're the special guest today because you're the person who's been on the podcast the most. Am I? Wow! Three times. Three. This is whole the third time. Times. Yeah. Wow. It's JJ Schindler, guys. It's JJ Schindler. Yeah. It's me, the one and only. The one and only. The J and the J. JJ Abrams if Schindler. If you around, it's still J and J. It's <laughs> still still JJ. No matter how you spin it, it's still, it's still JJ. JJ. <laughs> so. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's good to be back. Yeah. Good. First year, first run. Yeah, you know, yeah. Doing this podcasting. Hopefully, listeners are enjoying it. it seems like they are. I mean, you're up to twenty five. So. Yeah, yeah. Not, not. Haven't cracked a thousand views yet, but you know, one day. This one will, right? This one will this because is the one. This is the one. Yeah. Because you know what? I'm back. Because yeah, JJ's back. <laughs> That's the only reason why. Um, so yeah, really quick. I know what you've been up to, and it hasn't been too long. Well, I guess it's only it's been like six months since you've been back, but. Yeah. What have you been up to? Oh, man. Uh, lots of different stuff. I mean, we're in our last year of 
graduating film school, so busy mm-hmm. with that, uh, working on a couple of different film projects. Um, since then, um, well, you know this as well, but our film that we were in, uh, which was a PSA commercial, won, um, won the Emmy for the regionals oh, yeah, uh, yeah. this year. And I actually killed. don't think I've talked about that yet. Yeah, so <laughs> we should have a segment on that. We should, so, yeah. Um, that was pretty cool, and um, picked up, a, I'm producing a new pilot, I'm producing a, a, another um, film, I'm still finishing up on post-production for my senior project arc which i think we're going to touch on a little bit more today mm-hmm. so yeah i've been busy but you know Very. busy's good idleness is the devil's workshop so i'm going to keep <laughs> uh, out of that workshop as much as possible there you go <laughs> yeah so jj is here as um our continuation of the senior project discussions last week we had miley Durbin on two weeks ago or three weeks ago we had gabe moore and uh, now we got the producer of one of the senior projects, ARC, which is probably the most visually pleasing senior project of all the senior projects, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll touch in on that later when we get into the topic of the week. But right now we have five stories we want to talk about. The top five. The top five. Always been five. Sometimes it's four. Sometimes it's 14. But you know what? In five one, is in a one case. Number. But five, you know, it's a round number. It's one of my favorite numbers. Five. Let's get into the top five. Number one, we got our first official look at Cable, played by Josh Brolin in Deadpool 2. Uh, a couple of days ago, we got our first look at Zazie Beetz, uh, who's being who's playing Domino in Deadpool 2, which I talked about with Miley. Uh, we talked about um, the controversy surrounding her character and how her look isn't exactly what comic book fans are hoping for, but it's a it's a New interpretation of the character, which is kind of cool. However, Josh Brolin as Cable, man, if you know Cable, they just, like, ripped him out of the comics. They literally just, like, ripped a page out of a comic book, put it in a 3D printer, and then just 3D printed a new Josh Brolin, basically, is what they did. (laughs) Yeah, um, I'm not a huge fan of Deadpool. I'm not a huge fan of of the character. I think he's hilarious. I think the movie was um, pretty good. I, I can't say it's one of my favorite movies, but it's definitely one of the better movies of 2016, one of the more original recently. But this character, I, I'm super excited for him. Um, still not knowing a lot, but just knowing what I know, he's uh, from the future, he's a time traveler, he's the son of uh, Cyclops, the guy with the laser beam mm. eye in X-Men. Um, he's got a big-ass gun, he's got a teddy bear, he's got the cyborg arm and the cyborg half of his face, almost like the Terminator. I don't remember where I heard this, but someone said said to me, like, it's like they took every character Arnold Schwarzenegger has ever played and meshed it into one character. Yeah, Yeah. speaking on um, just Josh Brolin himself playing the character, uh, it's kind of cool. It's a little weird considering that um, he's playing Thanos as well in yeah. Avengers Infinity War. Uh, but the thing is, that's a villain. And also... He, I think Thanos is probably going to kick the can after Avengers 4. I think we're not going to see Thanos. If, if, I mean, my hope is we'll see him again, but I don't think we're going to see him continue on as a regular character. People still coming in. Still, still a staple of this podcast. I don't think we're going to see him continue on like, you know, staple characters like Captain America or Iron Man. Even if, if those guys continue, I'm not sure. 
we don't know who's going to live in Infinity War. <laughs> yeah. Not what we're talking about, though. But, um, no, it's interesting that they cast Josh Brolin as Cable because initially it was like Brad Pitt was in negotiations. Mel Gibson, um, was in negotiations. Gibson I would have loved to see Mel Gibson as Cable. Um, Stephen Lang, who played the bad guy in Avatar, uh, and is coming back, I guess, for that movie. Um, yeah, he would have been good, too. He would have been great, um, yeah. No, he's got a great look. <clears throat> I mean, I'm, I am kind of on the same boat as you as far as Deadpool, but um, you definitely appreciate the detail of the story and the well-structuredness of, of Deadpool. Um, I think, you know, from what I've seen of this character, he seems very highly detailed. I mean, it looks, like you said, like they pulled him, you know, a human, real living form from as close as you could get to, to, the, comic, to yeah. the comic. So. Uh, they did a really good job with that, and uh, yeah, I think he's I think he's a good choice for the character. Um, you know, I guess we'll find out how well he dives into the character itself. But as far as look, I mean, he looks great. He looks like he's the part. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's funny because I was initially going to have um, Preston come on here. Preston Yarger being the the director of Arc, and I was really interested to get his thoughts on this. I'm sure he's loving this look. Um, but, you know, it, I know your opinion of Deadpool is also very specific. <laughs> so, uh, it works. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. works. It works. You, you know? daddy love it. Enjoy it. You know? You love it, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I think, I think Cable is going to be a great contrast to Deadpool because even though they're good friends in the comics, he doesn't really take any of his BS. He's just kind of like, stop. You, 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 you dumbass. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, Josh Brolin is Cable. Bring it. Can't wait for this badassery. <laughs> All right, number two. It's kind of a weird movie story, not one that I was expecting to cover, but I love it so much I want to talk about it. Uh, James Gunn revealed the music video for Guardians Inferno, the original song in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And it is the greatest thing I've ever seen on YouTube. <laughs> it, is, it is basically, it's a... Um, mocking of like BG's 80s, 70s type music videos where people like have little to no, no shirts on. The guys, at least, the girls are um, the girls are um, wearing these very skimpy, revealing dresses, um, jumpsuits. There's robots and people with like weird eye costumes and alien costumes walking around. Um, nice 70s, 80s looking mustaches. David Hasselhoff, who actually sings the song in the actual movie, is in the music video, of course. Uh, it's just it's just amazing. And and despite what you thought to begin with, Chris Pratt's in it too, spoilers. He, he, start, he is uh, the robot dancing around at the end, you reveal that it's him. And it's, just, uh, it's so funny. And um, it's a great promotional piece for Guardians of the Galaxy. And it just kind of shows how much fun the people have making this movie like this is why i love this franchise so much the guardians franchise because it feels like a fun franchise where james gunn is really given free reign to work with the actors on crafting a really good story with um with great characters and spe awesome special effects and action scenes and set pieces um i was talking with you earlier um i'm i've viewed movies as like a cake like, you can, you can put, like, the best frosting on the cake. You can put, like, 
really colorful sprinkles. You can put those like rainbow airhead strips on the side of the cake. You can put like all these amazing decorations on the cake to make it look amazing. But if the cake itself, the batter that you make it with, doesn't taste good, then then then, then the cake, the whole cake's just gonna suck, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, James Gunn knows how to combine the best of both those elements by crafting a great story while adding just incredible visuals and um, continuing to allow the characters to have fun, or the actors, I should say, to have fun. Uh, and the fact that they were all able to get together and do this little promotional piece, as big as like Zoe Saldana and Chris Pratt and Michael Rooker are nowadays, that they were all able to come together for this music video just to promote the movie was... It was pretty great, and it kind of goes, like I said, good skills to show how they kind of work. They're all kind of like this little mini family uh, within, like the Guardians themselves are a family, but then outside that, there is this actual family uh, that is uh, the production of the making of these movies, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, what What did you think? <laughs> I mean, I don't really get the point of it. I thought it was really dumb, pretty <laughs> stupid. Um, I mean, I don't even, what, why, what, what's it for again? Just... Promotion having fun. after the movie's done. Yeah, it was. It's it's going to be a DVD extra on the Blu-ray. Oh, I see. I don't know. I don't get the point really. I kind of just thought it was a little overly saturated, or overly done. Like I love some stuff. I mean, I love Guardians franchise. Like it's, they were both really great films, great story, great characters, um, really good stuff. Um, but I don't know. I, I just I didn't get to see the point. It really didn't hit me at all. I kind of was sitting there like, what 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 is this like? Um, <laughs> But that could just be my opinion, but um, yeah, I was really kind of turned off by it, but I mean, if that's their way of promoting it, I guess go for it. So but. it could be your opinion, but what's your actual opinion? It could be. It is my opinion. It is my opinion, <laughs> yes. I Dang it. <laughs> Thought I had him there. <laughs> no, it's, uh, um, it was interesting. I will, I will give them that. You, you, they chose a very interesting <laughs> promotional piece, and... My hat off to you. <laughs> you can tell despite JJ and I being best friends, we still have very different, somewhat different tastes. It depends on who it is. We like, we like the same things. Yeah. It's just JJ doesn't like those really weird dumb things like <laughs> the music video for Guardians of Runa, which is fine. You know, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. We'll One of these days, yeah. We'll just go fight over it, you know. We'll just fight over it. Pull out the pots and pans you know? and knives and, you know. Yeah, exactly. Out, the, the, we'll best, be the best of yeah. friends are the ones that can agree to disagree, you know. So, yeah, you, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the way we roll. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> okay, number three. This is an interesting story. Uh, Disney has cut off their deal with Netflix, meaning that all the movies that are Disney-owned that are currently on Netflix are going away. By 2019, I believe. Uh, so, like, the Marvel films, uh, the, the animated movies, the original Disney movies that are on Netflix, Star Wars, I just recently added Rogue One to Netflix. All those are going to be going away by 2019 because Disney wants to start their own streaming service. That's right. Disney wants to create another Netflix in addition to the other Netflix knockoffs that we've got, like Hulu and the HBO thing and Amazon Prime and everything else, even though I don't even, I have Amazon Prime, so I'm not going to bash on Amazon Prime. Regardless, they're all kind of knockoffs of Netflix. And this is frustrating because 
one, my first thought was like, what's going to happen to the Marvel Netflix TV shows like Daredevil and The Punisher and Iron Fist? Well, I don't care about Iron Fist, but Jessica Jones, Luke Cage. Uh, what, what, what did you say? What is that movie? Iron Fist? I, I, I don't like Iron Fist. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm one of the many. What is Iron Fist? <laughs> what is Iron Fist? You know, it's it's a pile of shit. That's what it is. <laughs> um, anyways, we're not talking about Iron Fist. We're talking about Netflix. But uh, yeah, it's it's weird. You know? Yeah. yeah, no, and it was funny. I was just talking about this the other day um, with some people in a, in a business class about like how Netflix, um, its business model is really unique. And I was noticing how much money they've been spending on their expansion and wondering, you know, they must have a plan in mind to counter that. I mean, they spent a lot of money on productions for their originals. They spent a lot of money on moving into LA. They spent a lot of money you know, making these deals with Disney and all these different things. Yeah. And, um, I mean, they're in debt, aren't they? They're in debt. I mean, like, and I guess there's a lot of companies that are, you know, but they're on the top of their game. I guess that's probably the exchange right there, but, um, yeah, I don't really know what Disney's trying to do. I mean, Disney does have an enormous fan base, but, um, if they're going to make something, a Netflix type, you know, um, Streaming, service. streaming system for themselves you're only going to have disney movies doing that and like as much as you have a lot of fans like that's really not going to you're not going to bring in anything that netflix is if anything i think netflix is adding something to them it's just another way of expanding their arm as far as their content yeah so i mean maybe they have a better insight on this than my perspective as a you know as a consumer but um for me i'm kind of like i don't think that's going to work out as good as you think but then they're I guess kind of changed their mind and then they're still making a deal. I don't know if it's yeah. a publicity thing or what's going on, but it's kind of like, it feels like they just kind of got this whole Disney thing into full swing. Like it's just finally like have a bunch of content on there and everything. It's kind of was trickling in for a while. Yeah, and exactly. now I'm just like, was just noticing the other day. I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. There's some, a lot of Disney stuff on this now. Like it's finally kind of in its full and full swing. Full swing. Yeah. And then not even like three months ago, <clears throat> They added Moana and, and Rogue One and Zootopia and all these other great Disney films to Netflix. And it's like, why Yeah, why would you want to ruin a good thing? Why would you want to stop a good thing? If it ain't broken, don't fix it. Stop it, JJ's phone. We're trying to talk about Netflix. Go away. Well, it'd be interesting. You know, I wonder if Disney sees something that we are. This is kind of like a theory, but I wonder if Netflix is not doing very well and if they have the potential to really have a crash here if Disney's foreseeing that and pulling out. Yeah, I mean, they are... I think I heard they're like $20 billion in debt, which that might be an overstatement. It might be $20 million. I don't know. The M and the B tend to, you know... Words. Words. Yeah. Whatever. Even if, Whichever one it is. I mean, it's, it's like a, still a lot of money. Million, yeah. But, yeah but, even, but even so, like, they just announced <laughs> that they, they scored a deal with this uh, comic company, which has made, uh, is responsible for comics like uh, a lot of the Mark Millar stuff, like Kingsman, and they produced uh, Old Man Logan, one of the best Wolverine comics. And so, yeah, they're still making deals. Obviously, they're still making productions. They're still very profitable. But yeah, that whole debt thing really makes you think, like, is that why Disney is not wanting to do business with this company? And it's like... Yeah, because they jumped on it. When they had the deal, are they, you know, I don't know if Disney went to Netflix or Netflix went to Disney. But yeah. Regardless, they obviously thought at the time that it would be beneficial for both of them. But it could be, too, that Disney just saw that, you know, this really isn't bringing anything extra to us. Right. It's really just aiding Netflix at this point. 
you know? And then maybe they're like, okay, well, we need to pull this deal to renegotiate something that works better exactly, for us. Yeah. I don't know. But it's, you know, I think they got to be careful because you've got not only, you know, people that consistent consumers of Netflix and also consistent consumers, consumers of Disney. So if you start doing too much rattle in the cage, you know, you're going to exactly. start hitting into one of those. So, yeah, it's cause it's like how, how, how much money are people willing to invest in this? Cause you already have Amazon prime, which is a decent deal. I believe it's about a hundred bucks a year, which is good for the amount yeah. of content they give you. Almost more than Netflix. Netflix is nine bucks a month with just the streaming. I think they dropped the whole DVD thing a while ago. Maybe. Uh, is that still going? I think it still is, but like, I think the majority of their stuff is online streaming now. Yeah, so that's still going. You can do sixteen bucks a month for the DVD things, but usually it's just streaming for nine, eight, nine bucks a month. Disney adding another thing, that'd be a little too much. Then you also have Hulu, and they dropped their free service. They used to just have like a, you can just have, you can get an account, you can watch some shows for free, or like two days after they premiere, other shows. You just can't watch it all. You have to get a prime, like a Hulu Prime account. Now they drop that whole thing. Now you have to pay, I don't know how much money, but you still have to pay a lot of money to stream these shows. And yeah. it's just like, okay, you have three, maybe four, maybe there's one I'm forgetting, really great streaming services. Yeah. How, how is another one going to benefit Disney if they're already being blocked out by these other ones? Like how... Disney's kind of a niche, you know? Yeah. Everybody loves Disney, but there are people who... Love Disney. There are people who love Disney. Yeah. So I don't know if you're going to get a lot of. I don't think there is many love Disney people out there that they think there are. So I I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. We can talk about this all day. But well, yeah. it's interesting because it's the, Disney has its its brand. It's what it is. Is what makes Disney what Disney is. Mm -hmm. And Netflix is kind of neutral in that kind of regard. Like Netflix is known for its streaming service, not necessarily like the brand of like Disney is. Mm -hmm. So if you're having that, I just don't know. I don't see the business model. I don't see the business potential. But hey, they probably know a lot more than I do. They probably <laughs> have their perspective. Who knows? This might be a whole point to just try to help each other out. I right. don't know. But don't rattle my cage too much because I want to watch some stuff. So. <laughs> I want to watch my movies and TV shows. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I hope something was worked out. I hope that deal with it. Yeah, like you said, they're, they're renegotiating their deal, I guess. So I hope something works out so they don't have to do that. I, that would be kind of sucky if they did, but only time will tell what happens. By 2019, we will know for sure whether Disney has that streaming service or not. All right, number four. We got a boatload of new images and details on Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi Entertainment Weekly has a new cover out for the movie, revealing a lot of images, a lot of details. We're going to talk about a majority of them, uh, first of which we're talking about Rey. Uh, the basic theme and sort of, yeah, the basic theme of this movie, according to Ryan Johnson, is about heroes, and that's can mean a lot of different things in the context of this film. Yeah. For Ray, it's about meeting your heroes, not necessarily getting what you want in Luke. Uh, Luke is, excuse me, Luke is uh, putting himself in self-exile after um, the fall of his Jedi Order, and um, he's kind of a lost hero, and she sort of has to restore that heroic personification that she has of him back into Luke to have, so he can train her to be a Jedi and he can come back and, you know, save the galaxy, all that stuff. <laughs> um, 
So that's interesting, like meeting your, because you never think about that. You always think about meeting like your favorite celebrities and your, your heroes, people you look up to, and you never think about like, what if you're disappointed? What if they're not what you expect? Yeah. Uh, you always just sort of have this image of what you think they are. Then you meet them in real life, and maybe they're not what you'd expect. And there's always that potential for disappointment. And I don't think Ray is expecting that when meeting Luke. So that's that's kind of interesting. Yeah. No, I'm I'm excited for this movie because um, I think it's going to be a chance for them to kind of branch off into a new uh, to new things. Like the other, obviously, the first Star Wars was kind of a bridge between the old Star Wars into, into the new. Mm-hmm. And then you had Road Wong, which was his own thing. Um, and then now you have this, this is really where it's like, okay, this is where we're going to really see the thought process they've put into creating Star Wars and extending it into these new future movies. And mm-hmm. really these characters, we've inter- been introduced to them now. Now we can really settle in on who they are, their inner struggles and stuff. I'm really excited to see how Ray, from what I've seen, just glimpses from trailers and different things like that. Like they, she just, the character, I'm really liking what they're doing with it. Um, it'll be interesting to see her dynamic with Luke, like you're saying, and how that, you know, she just seems like such a pure character that it's really going to be interesting because he was that pure character at one point and like Mm -hmm. things that have happened to him have caused him to become this. It's really cool. I'm excited to see their dynamic. Like you were saying, like meeting somebody who you have this idea in your head about and then they may not be what you thought, but Mm -hmm. that also in turn makes him have to rise to the occasion to, you know, to serve her and serve the, you know, to serve the force, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, um, it'll be really cool. I think there's a lot of stuff in this, but not too much. Um, or I hope they don't go trying to add too much into it at one point. I hope yeah. they focus in on few story points to keep us flowing, but um, but keep us really engaged. So I'm looking forward to it a lot. And cool. I mean, I mean, the images that have come out, I mean, they look really great. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, even just. From an image, I can already see the character development in a lot of these characters. Yeah. And the world that they're building. So I'm really excited for to see what happens. Yeah. And talking about Luke real quick, um, he's got an interesting role in this film. Like, nothing we've ever seen from him before. Because, you know, when we left him in, in Return of the Jedi, everything was kind of good and hopeful. He, he had chosen the light. He became a Jedi who was gonna rebuild the jedi order and now you know we cut to 30 years later and he's not here <laughs> he's went lost to he's hiding. <laughs> went, to, went to island octo uh skelly michael island to hide among the porgs and the then the jedi nuns or whatever we'll get into that in a bit but um yeah the interesting thing that they said was that luke is not a coward and he's he he has to be doing what he's doing for a reason which is Interesting because Intriguing, yeah, yeah, because like yeah, of course it's. I mean, this is Luke Skywalker. This is like the King Arthur of this space yeah. Western medieval type world that they created with Star Wars. Of course, he wouldn't just be hiding for the sake of being coward. He has to believe that what he's doing is the right thing, which makes sense with his character. Yeah, and I think we'll get a glimpse at like more stuff that's going on that's caused this thing because i mean that's a huge gap to leave from when we last saw him to now i mean a lot of stuff happened in that i think it's going to kind of be an unveiling too because we still don't really know exactly where race come from we we have a lot of clues yeah you know but i think i don't know if they'll do it in this movie but it's going to come out here in the next you know couple movies i'm sure they have planned who she is 
Um, well, they've already confirmed that we will learn her parentage in the movie, but like, oh, nice. almost like how Darth Vader was revealed to be Luke's father in Empire Strikes Back. Like, that's the only tidbit we got. We didn't get like how he became to be the person he was, what happened to Luke around that time, why did they separate, why did they, how did they meet, you know, as Vader and Luke where they were now. Like, we're going to get that answer. Like, who are Rey's parents? We're going to get that answer. Mm -hmm. I think it's Luke Skywalker, but, you know, some people like to disagree. But it's it's good. That's good, because I don't want to get all the answers. I wanted these answers to stretch across these movies. I didn't want to get the answer that Rey was Han Solo's kid in the, you know, in the middle of Force Wiggins. Like, you got to keep leave some stuff up to the imagination and leave people wanting to come back for more. And they're doing a great job at distancing the answers we get across these movies. Yeah. And uh, with Luke, another interesting tidbit, I guess part of his downfall was that he believed that Kylo Ren, aka Ben Solo, was actually the chosen one. Mm. Which is a title that was specifically given to Anakin Skywalker. He was the chosen one. And then for a while we thought that Luke was the chosen one because Anakin had fallen. But, you know, uh, as we saw, Anakin was still remained the chosen one because he still had light in him. And he was able to destroy the Emperor and save save the galaxy alongside Luke Skywalker. And, which is interesting because, like, I guess the first story was still uh, rising up between that 30-year gap. So, of course, there still had to be a fight um, between the light and the dark. So, I, I guess if we had established that Anakin was a Chosen One, why, why would Luke think otherwise? But that's just, I don't know, maybe it's just he didn't really know about the Chosen One thing and he just believes that Kylo was the chosen one and he pushed him too hard to the point where Kylo got pushed so far that he wanted that he just was done and seeked a easier path aka the dark side yeah so that's an interesting tidbit to think about um going back to that hero theme of the movie another interesting way that they're going to tie that into the film is with Finn because at this point in the in the saga everybody knows about the young scavenger from Jakku and the defected stormtrooper who both saved the galaxy from the first order and destroyed the Starkiller base. And so Finn is a hero now among the resistance and among just common folk around the galaxy. But yet he still wants to run from the fight, apparently. Mm. He still has that, uh, that desire from the first film to get away, to start a new life, to just stop fighting. Which is interesting because... You know, he stood his ground against Kylo Ren. He he like he he is a hero now, and he I don't know. I guess it's. I mean, I don't want to say I don't like it, but I think it's interesting that he wants to keep running. Right. And then we introduce this new character, Rose, played by a new actress, Kelly Marie Tran. She is a like a nobody basically. She's just like a mechanic. One of those like background people you see in Star Wars that you don't really think much about. They're actually putting one of those characters into the for forefront of this movie, and she kind of looks up to Finn as a hero. And seeing that makes him persuades him to stay with the Resistance and help fight the fight. How willing willing is he is throughout the movie? We don't know for sure. Know. But that's an interesting dynamic with Finn and and Rose. Um, and I think that helps Finn sort of. He has an interesting arc. Uh, going from trying to find his place in the, the universe, I think. So it's really make, setting up to be like the new Han Solo, I think, of this this galaxy, this franchise, I think. Yeah. He's, you know, he's not a smuggler per se like Han Solo, but he has, he's kind of that 
Han Solo type of character, you know? Yeah. So that'll be that'll be really cool to see for Finn. He's one of my favorite characters from the new trilogy, so I can't wait to see more of him. Yeah. Uh, the Porgs. Let's talk about the Porgs. I don't know if you've seen these things, but... I haven't. It's like a cross between a, a puffin, a penguin, a sea otter, and a dog. And a guinea pig? A guinea pig, maybe, like yeah. a guinea pig when I look at it. It's just... Oh my gosh, that's so adorable. <laughs> I, I, I text this image to my sister because she loves penguins. And I'm just like, look at this! And she's like... Oh my gosh, it's so ugly, it's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be uh, interesting. I mean, I know I trust them with the characters that they're creating. Um, looking at it, it looks really cheesy and dumb, but I hope that they tie I in. I mean, it so. is a practical effect, so that's that's great. I love practical cool. effects. That is really and cool. they are, they're not like these things are going to be popping around like minions. They, they're restricted to Luke's Island. These are like some of the, li the life... Forms on the that. life forms nature gotcha. creatures on the island that he's in so he's not he's not a completely alone you know he has he has animal friends which is i guess is a thing in in force uh canon whatever but they're so cute i cannot <laughs> wait it's like we haven't heard a thing about bb-8 and that's because of these freaking porgs <laughs> that's funny i love that um okay here's here's something interesting so these are the space nuns that are also on octu the island that luke's on and they are nuns, like like the the nuns of the Force, you know? They're mm. religious caretakers of this island, which is the island of the first Jedi Temple. Mm. So they're attending to this castle. It's almost like, um, like a... Uh, oh, man, I'm trying to think of the name for it. Like, uh, you know, pilgrimages. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, you have people that stay at those pilgrimages and tend to them and keep them up to date and preserve them. These are kind of what these nuns are doing. Uh, and it's really cool to see that... A unique creature, yeah. Yeah, a unique creature. It's really cool to see that religious element being enforced... Not enforced, but still uh, very present that. and forced <laughs> <laughs> into uh, Star Wars. Because I've, I've always believed that Star Wars is kind of an, a almost a... Uh, now, what are these mirror people? of like Christianity. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, light in the dark. You have knights. You have nuns now. You have the dark people who do selfish things, and um, those who follow the will of the Lord. You know, walk in the light. Those who do walk in the dark. Right. Stuff like that. What are these creatures called? Are the nuns they're, called? They're called the they're called the caretakers of Octu. Gotcha. I don't think there's any. They're, Specific in, they're amphibious name. creatures, alien nuns. Um, they're not necessarily happy that Luke is crashing on their island. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, but I mean, he's a Jedi. Like, he's he's one of the last Jedi. Like, I don't know why they're so pissed, but... Interesting. Cranky nuns, I guess. <laughs> um, oh, here we go. The Praetorian Guard. So, one thing we're also going to get more of is Snoke. Uh, Supreme Leader Snoke. People were itching for more Snoke. Played by Andy Serkis, the amazing Andy Serkis. He's still going to be a CGI... Uh, character, he's not going to be a puppet like rumors had us believe, which is fine. I mean, I don't mind him being a CGI character. I just hope that the CGI is better in this than it was in the Force Awakens, because I don't think it, it was great in the Force Awakens. But then again, it was it was a it was a ha words it was a hologram. Uh, we'll move past these. So yeah, images of Kylo Ren, Ho Dameron. We can go into a lot of these details. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm really, I mean, like I said, from just these images, I mean, um, it'll be really, really cool. I mean, and I'll see, see one last look at Carrie Fisher. Yeah, um, exactly. It's going to be really hard to see her 
such sort of farewell into the Star Wars franchise. Yeah. But, um, yeah, how cool. I'm really excited for this. Um, it'll be, uh, it'll be really interesting to see how much they dive into this, this new world of Star Wars. Definitely, definitely. It's going to be a very different Star Wars movie, and I think that's something that we've been wanting for a long time. Yeah. All right, number five. Blade Runner 2049 is rated R. Yeah. Uh, of course, this is expected of the Blade Runner franchise. The first film was rated R. Um... Uh, I believe it's rated R for uh, violence, violence, some sexuality, nudity, and language. I'm not a huge fan of nudity. Actually, I don't care what context or why, why or how you're using it. I don't. I just don't like nudity in my films. I don't think we need to see it. Well, it'd be interesting um, to see. I think it's the thing with Blade Runner is it really delves into a deep question of what does it mean to be a human being, mm-hmm. and. Um, uniquely more than a most films and i think if they most times i don't like nudity either but i would say if they tastefully place it and if it's having to do with the beauty of the human person or these robots that have been created and like the question of like what does it mean to be a human being as long as it's tasteful and it's not for a sexual i don't know a sexual fix for this movie to put that in there to get more people in the seats as long yeah. as it's for the driving force of the story Definitely. And in these deep, you know, into the deep kind of world of what Blade Runner is, I will be okay with that. But if they start playing with it as something to for, for yeah. an oversexualized feel, that's just that's not tasteful. It's not really driving anything in the story. Exactly. So, but I hope that they I hope they use it well. I mean, yeah, you make a good point with Blade Runner that that sort of story kind of calls for that type of use of nudity as, as, you know, showing the beauty of the body and how, you know, humans and yeah. replicants um, are kind of the same but different. Uh, and definitely the first one had an element of that, not as prominent as in this probably, but I feel like with the hol- all the holograms we've seen in this movie of, like, you know, the sexy hologram women in this movie, I feel like that we might get a hint of that, unfortunately. Yeah, hopefully but not. But that is I mean... probably part of the culture, regardless. <laughs> I mean... It's, you know, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of whatever, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll have to see, yeah. Yeah, regardless, I mean, this movie is a is a, is a a movie for adults, and it's a movie that asks a lot of deep questions. So, it is almost excused, but on a very minimum basis, you know. Yeah. Well, and it's cool that they've really kept this, they've, I think they've advertised this movie well. I think they've given us... Everything that what Blade Runner should be for a second movie, um, but also they've kept it really hardly under wraps and not let stuff come out about the story. Definitely. I mean, and that makes me, you know, when people do that, it makes me know that they value the story they're trying to tell and mm-hmm. they're trying to save that. They want to so, give you a genuine experience yeah. in the theater, which yeah, I totally respect. That's why I have mad respect <laughs> for Denis Villeneuve and everybody involved in this film. It's just like they really respect the lore of this franchise and the craft of filmmaking enough to give us this genuine surprise in the theater, which is how you should experience all movies. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to be there the day or the day after it comes out because Blade Runner is my thing. We can talk about it for days. We don't have days. We have minutes. <laughs> all right. So that was our top five running down list. That was first look at cable in Deadpool two, the guardians inferno music video from Guardians of the galaxy volume two, Disney cuts their deal with Netflix, the Star Wars The Last Jedi EW cover, and Blade Runner 2049 gets an R rating. 
Alright. Okay, now we're on to our topic of the week. Uh, this week, obviously, JJ is here to talk about his new film, which he produced. It's called Ark. And, of course, this is part three of the uh, senior project discussion I have with the senior project directors here at John Paul the Great Catholic University. In addition to the producers and sometimes cinematographers, uh, two weeks ago we had um, Miley on the show. The week before we had Gabe talk about, both talk about shirt button and the sensations now. JJ's here to talk about a film he produced, uh, along with his, well, he didn't produce it, but um, he made alongside his director, Preston Yarger, that is ARC. So why don't you tell everybody who's tuning in, like, what ARC is about, for those who don't know. Yeah, so ARC is the story of a little girl who has a big journey to overcome, and it's... Um, one that's based on something that's very true for both me and Preston, something that's very personal to us, um, and that's what he wrote the story on, is um, in both our families we have adopted siblings. And Preston has two adopted sisters from China, and they um, he just opened up to me when we first started talking about the script about you know the difficulties and the challenges and um, that come with... Um, adopting a child, but also the difficulties that these child these children go through. Um, my little brother uh, Blake is an adopted child. Um, he's not from a foreign country, but we dealt with a lot of uh, similar trials um, uh, that go you know that families go through when adopting um, a kid, and what that child goes through when they are um, trying to come into a family that's something that they have never known or haven't known in a very long time. Um, and one thing that was very, uh, that I distinctly remember about adopting Blake was soon after we had adopted him, um, it came very clear that he was, uh, didn't think that he had a, f a home with us, uh, permanently. He came up to my mom and distinctly asked, um, when, am, where's my next home? When am I moving next? And that really struck me and has always stayed with me um, because he had no idea, no comprehension of what it meant to be in a home, an actual home with a family. So it, we adopted kind of the slogan, if you will, you know, this is your forever home um, to kind of help him with that understanding. And I just remember when he fully understood it, um, when she explained it to him that he wasn't going to move again, that he was going to be staying here, he just lit up and was so excited. Um, it was very, very touching. And this story, uh, and I know Preston had similar things happen with his sisters, and this story was really based around that struggle, really based around the child who's struggling with that. So the story about this little girl, Lily, is that she is an orphan. Um, she doesn't really know what happened with her family. And we open up on the story of her walking through the desert, you know, um, looking for um, a place to um, of her own, some place that she could stay. Uh, she's a wanderer. And she comes across this, this creature, if you will. I don't want to spoil who he is. Um, his name is Mike. And they strike up a relationship, and they have to cross the desert. And we soon find that she has an illness. And um, it's a race against time to get to the other side, to what she calls the safe place, uh, across Babylon, where this demon is um, keeping everybody from moving across there, especially Lily. And Mike is pretty much the only thing that can help her. Um, 
So it's um, really supposed to be um, something that can be inspiring for children going through adoption for something that they can look up, look up to in a sense that they can feel inspired by in a narrative form. And um, we're hoping that it can also touch other, other audiences um, with that story because it's based in truth, um, even though it is in a, a fantasy setting in the post-apocalyptic world uh, that we set this place in. Um, and there's a lot of cool elements. There's so many talented people that brought this together. It looks amazing. Um, so I'm really excited to see, and I hope that it generates a response that we wanted it to have with people and audiences. So that's kind of a brief overview of why we made ARC, what ARC is about, and what our hope is for the audiences when they watch it. Cool, yeah. No, really, really powerful stuff you guys are pulling on here, and just hearing that story about um, your brother Blake, was that Yeah, right? Blake. Yeah, um, everybody told me about that story a while ago, and great... Uh, real thing to pull from you guys saying you want you feel you want the story to feel real that that experience and um just hearing that and i guess having seen bits of the film no secret there <laughs> um you really get that feeling um yeah. that this need for family and stuff um it's a great message to pull from and it's a very um Interesting one concerning what type of film this is. Yeah. Um, it is it's a post-apocalyptic film, definitely taking some inspiration from like uh, Mad Max. Mad Max. Uh, gosh, I'm not a I'm not a huge um, I guess post-apocalyptic fan. Post but yeah. um, it has an interesting aesthetic to it. It has an interesting setting. It has things that you can play with a lot more because you're in a desperate environment if you will um and that is kind of you know what these kids are in i mean to them it's a life and death situation because they don't understand the world you know mm -hmm. they don't have an understanding of where they're at and everything's scary to them and that really um it's hard it's a hard struggle for them i could never imagine growing up without a family or understanding what that is and being thrown into a situation so i think that was something that um that we really were able to continually go back to and continually try to fight for in this story was to have that come through. And I think it was an interesting um, to play with kind of almost that polar opposite look, and if you will, with um, a child and the dangerous look of post-apocalyptic world that she's in. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of crushing and um, it's dangerous, but yet it's delicate and... Um, so we're pulling from a lot of different things, trying to make it a cohesive movie that is powerful emotionally. Yeah, you definitely get, like, even some, I'll say, hints of, like, Ray from Star Wars in there. Just this yeah. just yeah. drifter who, um, scavenger, who just, you know, is trying to survive. And yeah. uh, I, I really enjoy, um, on, the, on another note, I like, I love the color palette you guys chose. I mean, Mad Max is definitely a movie that has its colorful moments, but it's, um, the palette doesn't have a very wide variety mm -hmm. whereas this definitely you see like lily has this very vibrant green dress on even yeah. though it's covered in dirt or whatever um you still have these great vibrant um uh set pieces and costume elements and and, and that really makes it stand out i think visually and really makes it uh visually pleasing i think 
And it was to play with that was, you know, she's she's supposed to signify kind of a life in the middle of this desert right, great. oasis, you know. That's, that's good, um, yeah. You know, she's the vibrancy of the story. Um, and you'll see, when you see the character Mike, he's got very dull colors. He's very intriguing, very um, very uh, cool looking, but um, mm-hmm. she's she pops when you see her. her. Her eyes, her dress, her colors, what she wears, how she acts. Um, is a very lively person um, to kind of symbolize the liveliness of youth and the wear and tear that the world can take on kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. On Mike for a second, just consider yeah. the the type of color palette he has, the things he wears. It's interesting considering who he is. And once again, we won't get into spoiler territory, but you know, being being friends with the producer of a big movie like this, you know, you you get to know things <laughs> that other things. people don't get to know uh, until the movie comes out. But um, having seen that, it's interesting the character he actually is um, and what you perceive him to be. Yeah. And I, I'm really interested to see how, yeah, how people do react to that. I think it's a really cool and interesting take on yeah. a character like this. And he was really important because, um, you know, with Lily, all the deep things that from personal that we were personal life that we were kind of pulling for the story, Mike really represented a lot of things that are also important to us, but not necessarily um, completely on a personal level. And what I mean by that is that he really represents a side of the film that really delves into um, the Old Testament. We like to pull a lot of Old Testament themes that are in it. Um, definitely can't feel like it's necessarily like a Christian movie when you're watching it, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of symbolisms that we pull. Um, I don't want to dive into any spoiler territory, but I'll just say mm-hmm. that, um, that he represents a lot of um, deep things in that sense. Um, thing, symbol, symbolic imagery is used a lot with him and that his actions. So It's a great uh, cliffhanger teaser to leave them with. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's talk about uh, casting because yeah. obviously we talked about uh, Lily. Uh, the actress you guys got to play Lily was um, pretty phenomenal. And then uh, I guess we'll get into how you ended up uh, unintentionally casting uh, Mike yeah. later on. But let's talk about Kat, because she was the only one you really casted, right? Yeah, I mean, we were... Um, the, in this film, there was mainly a lot of extras, uh, a lot of fill-in actors for different things. Um, there was really only two main characters, which are Mike and Lily. Um, Lily, we knew, had to um, be a very talented young lady, and we wanted the youngest we could find um we were aiming for someone that could pull off six to 12 years old relatively um and we found um lily Rose, uh no lily Rose, Ray, uh laney Rose, <laughs> um and she's a very talented actress she's really um skyrocketing on imdb star meter she's been in a couple of big things she's been in a couple of features she's um, very talented, very talented little girl, and she really um, brought a strong presence to the audition. Um, and we just knew that she was what we wanted um, to play this role. Um, and on set, I mean, she was such a trooper. I mean, we were dealing with, we were filming in the same locations as uh, Star Wars and the the dunes and the deserts. So very hot, um, so much sand and dry. And she was just such a trooper. I mean, she beat me most of the time with how um, vibrant she was after a long day of shooting. Um, she was a great positive aspect to have on set. She was just phenomenal and she um, she really gave it her all 
and I um, I was really pleased with who she was and what she was able to do with this character. She really did carry the film. Um, so she was a great choice for us. Um, with Mike, there's an interesting story with Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so long story with Mike. Um, so Mike originally, and as some of you may know, if you if you followed the arc film from its um, beginning stages, that Mike originally was supposed to be this large, life-size, eight-foot robotic machine, and um, we had planned very much in detail in pre-production for what this robot would be. Um, we had even brought in people um, from Hollywood that had worked on the Marvel films. Um, we had people from Captain America um, from, that had worked on some things from with Iron Man, uh, Pacific Rim. Uh, he particularly, the one person we were getting uh, advice from, he uh, um, worked very closely with our art department. Um, but as things do in films, particularly short films, with low budgets, we ran into some very uh, large issues as we draw closer to filming. In fact, the day of filming, everything that we had built with the robot just started falling apart, and, and our team had a very difficult time pulling together. So it really just came down to a call that we were not going to be able to use this robot, which was a huge, huge bummer. But um, I was very proud of my team for pivoting very fast. Preston Yarger pivoted very fast with his vision of the film to make it work. So it was kind of a, a huddle moment for the art team to come together and to come up with a solution um, since we didn't have this robot that we wanted. And um, we came up with this character that you'll now see in the film, Mike. Oh, um, I don't want to reveal what you end up seeing him as at the end of the film, but I'll just say that he's a very... Um, interesting character that you can't quite figure out at first what he is and he kind of carries this very um, powerful presence um, and um, very intriguing to Lily as in the film that sh and she bonds with him very quickly um, so it kind of still carry it carried a lot of what we wanted in the film originally with the robot um, before it everything with that fell apart um, so I'm very pleased with what we were able to do with his character especially with the time frame we were working with and everything that went wrong uh, it was a great learning experience for myself and for many people on the film um, so I hope that it carries that same emotion and uh, power that we wanted it to have yeah I mean those an upset like that on a set is definitely probably one of the most unprecedented things to happen. I mean, I obviously expect things like things to go wrong, but I, I doubt that was the, the first thing in any anyone's mind when filming the first day. But um, now it's just it's really cool to see how it all came together, even with that minor minor major setback. Um, how much did the script change on set, given that um, the robot was no longer uh, part of the film actually surprisingly relatively small um, with what had happened um, we did have to change everything in the script that had to do with talking about Mike as a robotic machine um, there was one scene in particular actually a scene that I was going to use um, act in had to be cut because it had to do with 
explaining who Mike, the original Mike as the robot was um, through the mechanic who was working on him um, through their eyes. And um, so that scene completely needed to be cut from the film. We had a couple other, I guess, dialogue scenes that needed to be cut. Um, but we had to pivot really quickly to this new character to try to create a backstory for him, why he was there, why the audience is going to care. And um, I am, it was very quickly done, and, um, but I felt like it was what we did were able to accomplish worked out very well. So I would say relatively small for everything that went wrong that we had to change in the script. It's still very much what it was supposed to be originally. Cool. Very cool. Um, yeah, I mean, just, just seeing some of the locations you guys what got on set, I mean, yeah. these are some gorgeous locations, and yeah. some that you don't get in your average, um, you know, like say where we are, Escondido, you don't, the, these locations aren't easy to come by, no. so uh, what was the process of maybe of finding all these um, desolate and post-apocalyptic like locations um it was uh i mean preston the director and the art department um had worked on other films in various locations that we did use prior to this film so there was many that we had already um had in mind when we first started filming um and there was a few that we went and looked at um they were probably uh, you know in uh as far as our distance from them from where we're at they uh, were probably a good two hours away on average. Um, so it was a little bit of a drive, a little bit of coordinating. Um, but a lot of them actually were in um, state park areas or underneath the protection of the state, um, like state parks. Um, so there was a lot of hoops to jump through as far as paperwork, permits, um, insurance, um, all those kinds of things that go into pre-production for getting them that were huge pain to get through um so many so much paperwork um but in the end i mean it looks really great i mean the people that we worked with um to get the locations were um, very pleasing to work with um slow but difficult to uh, in that regard but very um very nice to work with as far as getting this done um so there's a lot of just pre-production work that had to go into it, kind of thinking ahead of time, thinking of how many vehicles and all that boring producer stuff. <laughs> but um, I was very pleased with the location. That's probably one of the strongest points of this film is the visual look of the locations and the world that it builds. Um, very, very happy with that. Yeah, that is why I don't want to be a producer because he's, he said it best, boring producer work. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I I believe the job does has its pros um, in addition to its cons, but um, definitely takes a uh, specific type of person to take on that uh, duty. So I I commend takes you. Some crazy people take some crazy people. So I commend you for being as crazy <laughs> as you are. Um, and of course you had uh, how can we forget? Uh, you had some practice, of course, with Anna, uh, which was a much different story. Um, but you had a lot of the same people, uh, on set for that, more or less, at least Preston was a big creative voice on Anna, um, your head producer, um, Shelby, Shelby Turner, director of that, uh, that was a very different film, how do you think 
if at all, how did that film prepare you for something as big, if not bigger, um, like this? Yeah, I think what helped was that um, in pre-production, we actually were ahead of the game a lot of the time, um, especially with something that was like so difficult as a production like this. And I think the scale of it was very similar. Uh, di completely different types of films, but as far as the, the, the manpower that was needed, the cast that was needed, locations that were needed. Um, I was very nervous on Anna because it was the largest production I had tried to tackle since then. It's also um, a very personal project. A very personal project. So um, it was, uh, it had its own difficulties, but it really did prepare me for this and dealing with, um, you know, just everything that entails with putting on a large production. So um, I learned a lot from Anna to be able to um, pull into making arc work. And um, I had, I mean, I had, the big thing I learned was bringing on the right people. And I had so many helpful producers um, that helped bring this together that um, helped me at least get some sleep during <laughs> production and stuff. Um, they were huge, hugely helpful. I mean, I had Mary Flynn, I had Megan Woodard, I had Caitlin Slater, I had Tom Zupas. <coughs> Zupa, Tom Zupasich? Yeah, that guy. Um, gosh, who else? Uh, I had a lot of producers on this working. Um, and Jenna Christakis, yes. Um, so it was, uh, I was able to learn that I needed a lot more help then. And it wasn't just something that I could tackle. It was something that a lot of people needed to help me with and um, help bring together and make their own. And that was um, constantly something that we were trying to do was to help people feel like this was their movie as well. Uh, and nice. try to get them behind the mission of the film. Um, so I'm very pleased with my team. Um, I wouldn't have this film or anything close to it if it was just me. So um, the only reason it looks so good and makes me look good is because of them. So, <laughs> so it's really not me, guys, yeah. uh, at all. Yeah, no, I can, I can uh, attest to Megan Woodard's uh, work ethic. Uh, she was one of my head producers on Windfall Rising as well. Um, yeah, she is. She, in addition to another producer um, on Windfall, uh, they are my rock. <laughs> they yeah. they help me get through uh, meetings and schedule things I would not think about. Uh, they keep me in line, keep me in, in check in regards to the production. Uh, yeah, producers are definitely the thing that keep the directors uh, working and able to do the things they love. So, um, to, of course, you and all the producers out there, you are appreciated. Yes. <laughs> and shout out to Megan, of course, because she's, she's great at her job. Uh, so now you guys are in post. And um, how is that going? With post, with, um, with ARC, that's right? With ARC, yeah, sorry. Um, I mean, that's the only movie we were talking about. Yes. So. I mean, there is I, I think post, I think but... Anna wrapped on post a while yes. ago. Yes. Um, Unless you're talking about all the other ones. Yeah. JJ's uh, a very busy man. <laughs> with ARC, um, it's a difficult process. I mean, you're dealing with something that is um, very complicated. There's a lot to it. Um, in addition to, you know, it's a constant battle between story and visualization, especially with something like this. You have so many things that are visually pleasing, but it's the decisions that come into, is it aiding the story? And there's a lot of hard sacrifices that have to happen with, um, with how it's aiding the story. Um, and, um, it's getting very, very, it's getting close, you know, and, um, it's been a long quarter as far as editing and 
notes and going back and forth with teams to decide on what's the best decisions to make. Um, we're wrapping in gosh, what are we got three more weeks left? Is that what we have? Three more weeks, yeah, gosh. as of today. Uh, oh gosh. Um, so it's getting close and uh, but we're gonna be ready. They I mean the team that they have for editing on, on ARC is just phenomenal. I'm, um, so thankful for these guys that work really, really hard and are so talented with their editing abilities, special effects, sound, I mean, all, all nine yards there. Um, <laughs> very blessed in that regard. So, um, we're hoping that we can bring together, um, you know, the movie that's supposed to be brought, you know, um, that it can have an impact on audiences. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about you real quick. Uh, having produced two big senior projects and now sort of producing a lot more than just senior projects nowadays <laughs> um how do you what is your work ethic like as a producer yeah. um, like you know like, i guess you know some most people have like a staple way they work or they go after specific types of projects um so yeah in addition to your ethic um what type of projects as a producer do you look at? And what, what do you look at in a project that makes you think, I want to be part of that, I want to make that happen? A big seller for me when I'm producing a film is, is it based in reality? Um, and I don't mean reality as like, is it a fiction or is it a fantasy? No, no, I mean like the reality of the story that you're telling and the human experience that it's presenting. Um, with films, you know, my job as a filmmaker and an artist is to bring forth scripts and f teams that are going to present the reality of a human person and their experience um, to life in whatever way that is, you know, and hopefully in a, in a moral sense with a moral message. But, you know, you, it's not about being pushy. It's about my main concern is to present reality and I know because of what God created us to be that a message will come through that reality. And people come from so many different places. And it gets difficult. I mean, there's a lot of places where it's um, difficult to decide. I don't like to use the word gray or the term gray area because I can't remember who said it. But there's never a gray area. There's just a lot of places with really tiny um, checkers of black and white. Mm -hmm. um, Interesting. So it's kind of making those decisions that decision is the first thing that I do when I approach a film is is this based in a reality is this have a message that's important to me but also to an audience um, and is there a team that I can pull around this film that's going to care that's going to be passionate about it that they can make their own um, so that we can have a positive experience on set and a positive message to present to people um, I draw a lot of inspiration from a lot of Filmmakers in the industry, Denzel Washington, Jim Caviezel, Mel Gibson, um, and... Um, Has Caviezel directed anything yet? I don't think Caviezel's directed anything yet, mm -hmm. as far as his acting abilities and his, you know, his way of portraying reality in that way. Right, right. Uh, I think Denzel once said, um, dreams are dreams, but um, a, in, when you're creating a film um, and hard work... It, is made out of um, when you're creating a film it's hard work and consistency you know your results are going to be based on hard work and consistency yeah, I remember this. and treating people well um, and another thing I remember watching him this last Oscar season when he said um, 
he said they were asking him about like all these different things about film. They were going really deep into it, and he just stopped them and he said, "This is a privilege that we get to make films. You know, losing your son in Afghanistan is hard. Making films isn't hard. It's a privilege. Now, don't get me wrong. It's hard work. It's a lot of hard, <laughs> a lot of hard work, but." We have an interesting calling, I'd say, in the film industry because we're artists. Um, our canvas is not as straightforward, perhaps, at times as a white canvas. It's um, dealing with the human um, you know, experience of what it means for us to live on a daily basis. And um, so that's kind of the next thing that I kind of dwell from is trying to find inspiration for things. And I find a lot of inspiration from the people that I do films with. I look for teams that are... Um, that they're passionate themselves. I mean, if they're not going to be passionate with themselves and what they want to do and be a good person, then they're not going to be passionate about the art that they're making. Um, so I really look for teams that are going to work well together. Um, that, you know, and it's not something like, oh, I think I will work well with this person. Like, there might be people that I completely disagree with that'll bring something very interesting to a film set. And, you know, the impact that I get to make as a filmmaker and that anybody gets to make as a filmmaker, particularly a Christian filmmaker, um, is the shoulders you're brushing with, you know, on a set, the people you're talking with that, cause when you're on a film set, I mean, it's, you really get to see really who you are as a person. Cause there's a lot of frustrating situations that come up. There's a lot of fun things, but a lot of bad things, you know, that come with it. Um, like in any job, but particularly there's things that really bring out what you are at your core. And, um, I want to be a positive impact for people that I work with. And I, I'm sure it's the same for you, Vince. You want to make an impact. You want to, and that's who you, that's how you evangelize. And that's how you bring a message of inspiration and hope and you know, a Christian uh, example or a bad example. Uh, that happens a lot too. <laughs> I hope that mine are to a minimum. Um, so, and I try to push myself constantly and put myself with people that are going to challenge me. I think that's a huge thing for people to find people that they can be challenged by and look up to and aspire to. Um, you know, it's like, a, what's his name? Um, um, well, never mind. I can't remember his name. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's who cool. you're chasing. It's, uh, uh, trying to help you out. Matthew McConaughey. 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 Uh, that yeah. It's not, it's who you look up to, it's who you're chasing, and you're chasing, you know, who you could be, who you're, who's better, you know, your better self. Um, so I guess, yeah, that's my random, and my pleasure about being a producer, and it's just seeing these brilliant people bring these brilliant pieces of art together, and um, I'm a small fraction of that. I just help bring them together, help give them the things that they need to best present their art, and um, to try to bring messages to people. So it's... Um, very rewarding. Um, you know, I like to think of it as somewhat a servitude um, to serve my team and to help serve people that need to be reminded of who they are, how good they can be, and um, show that they're not the only people going through what they're going through in their stories. So, yeah, I'd say that's somewhat of what I love to be a producer for. I'll say, yeah, that's, that's quite a lot. I think it's a great note to... Uh close this conversation on one yeah. more thing I want to ask is um, I know what you're working on next um, <laughs> couple of things, couple of things. <laughs> um, we're probably gonna do some things together in the future yeah but um, for those of you who don't those who don't know um, what are you gonna be up to with the next couple after art what, what's what's next for you 
Uh, after Arc, I am working on a film called Sunsets that's just about to go into post-production. That was um, done with some very talented filmmakers um, about loss, um, about someone losing someone very close to them and dealing with that uh, grief. Um, I'm dealing, um, making another film, um, actually not a film, a TV pilot um, that I'm working on or working to be able to make to pitch to some bigger studios put through some festival circuits. Um, it's untitled at this point, but it um, dives really deep, really into some gritty stuff and to undercover cops um, and um, some really grungy situations and them having to deal with really complicated moral questions in that, in that line of work as a police officer. And also the people that are in, uh, in crime, like how empathizing with some of their struggles and how a lot of times you get trapped and it's not always your choice. Um, so I can't give too much because it, we're don't want to reveal too much about mm -hmm. what that series is going to be about, but it's going to be really interesting. I'm really excited to be producing that. Um, gosh, what else? I got some other films I'm acting in coming out. I don't know their names. I can't give any information about them, but, uh, <laughs> they're going to be cool. So check out my page, I guess. Um, so I'm busy, but, uh, busy. Busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, no, look, I think ARC is going to be a visual spectacle. I think once you guys get the chance to see it, if you haven't seen what the trailer is already, it, it looks gorgeous. It, there's really this great sense of, um, you get hints of, of Logan, uh, the new the, the Wolverine movie, you get Mad Max, you get a little bit of Star Wars in there. I think it's, it's going to be a very fun and visually pleasing movie. I think you all should be looking forward to it. And, um... I, I congratulate uh, director Preston Yarger and J.J. Uh, Schindler on the, uh, the great work they've done on the movie. Awesome. Well, thanks for having the events. Yeah. And I uh, hope that we can do this again. Absolutely. I mean, as I've been telling the past couple of guests, this is probably the last time for a while that I'm going to have people um, that I've had on the podcast, but only for a little bit, you know. Uh, only Life because, things, you know. yeah, I mean, the only hindrance is that I'm going to be going back to Nebraska for about four, three or four months and uh, JJ Stocks is going to be taking his own uh, path but I no we, we've, we, we're going to be back the, the gang's going to be back together in about three or four months yeah. Yeah. If, if you know we can find a place of living <laughs> help us <Yes. laughs> alright well um, before we go I want to make a quick shout out um, so one of my old friends uh, Nick Crone contacted me the day he he got married a couple weeks ago, wishing him congratulations on that. Well, actually, no, a couple months ago, not weeks. But um, he just came out with a new book, which is a dream he's had for a while, wanted to write books. Uh, the first book, it's called, um, I hope I'm not butchering this name, Schofield. It's about a young German boy named Henry who arrives in America and is on the brink of falling into the Great Depression. When facing persecution for his nationality, he learns the true meaning of trusting God especially when running into a young man by the name of Schofield, who was simply struggling to make ends meet and raise his sister. With both families destitute, they pull together with hopes of helping each other get by. So, nice. um, yeah, his name is Nicholas M. Crone. Uh, cover art was designed by his wife, Marissa R. Crone. Uh, so, yeah, please, uh, I'll put the link in the description of this video. Support my friend Nick and his new book. Congratulations to you, Nick. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's our show. Uh, thank you all for watching this episode of the Vince Lionel Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, hit that like button and subscribe to my YouTube channel. You can check out my short films, 
trailer reactions, and more episodes of the Vince Lionel Podcast. JJ, as always, thanks for being on the show. Of course. Third time, episode 25. 25. Uh, past a year doing this podcast and no, showing no signs of slowing down. <laughs> um, where can the people find you, follow your work online? Well, if you Google me, JJ Schindler, I'm one of the only names in the United States that goes by that. So if you can't find me there, look me up on Facebook at JJ Schindler. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm on Twitter a little bit, mostly on Instagram. I'm on Snapchat as uh, JJ is the cap you know. So, uh, yeah, look me up, follow me, um, and uh, hopefully we'll talk with, see with you, chat with you soon. He's got a bitmoji. <laughs> I do have a bitmoji of me. Is it a bitmoji or is it a bitmoji? Bit, I don't know. I, I'm new to this whole thing, so I, I honestly don't know. What are these kids doing these Why don't these rip our snappers making them bitmojis? And, actually, no, wait, I have the app right here. Oh, it's bitmoji. You're right. Bitmoji. Ha! <laughs> Emoji, emoji. Technologically all the emojis get them while they're hot there you go gonna be hot for a while <laughs> alright thank you all for watching have a great day week god bless and peace out I think that's a great message to, um, <laughs> that's a great message to, uh, <laughs> trying to rake it in here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Huh. <laughs> yeah, um, busy, busy bee. Um, yeah, well, I think you all should be looking forward to ARC. It's got... Uh, some great visuals in it. I think a lot of people are going to be really, really wowed by what they see. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm glad I didn't try it again. Woo! Oh, so you're, getting, you're pretty good at that, you know. It's just stay around that just story idea. Stick it just, a... It's not there. But... It's not there. <laughs> There's some truth in what I'm saying. Actual truth. Yeah. Um, hmm. <laughs>